good to see you. All right, we're going to start, we're going to just jump right in this morning. We're going to start with scripture and we're going to go. Is that all right? Okay, cool. Um, so uh, if you could stand for the reading of God's word, we're, we're going to jump right into Mark chapter 6. Uh, so we're reading Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 52. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So when they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore and saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late... His disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to be set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking in, on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, because all they saw, or they saw, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, "Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid." Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. You may be seated. All right. So today's section in scripture is, is, is kind of a wild one. A lot happens. Um, and, and in these two events, which are, are probably some of the most well-known events of Jesus' ministry, um, stories lasting millennia, uh, they took place in a time window of probably less than 12 hours. Even though we oftentimes think of these stories separately, they actually happen in what we would assume is an afternoon and an evening and into a very early morning. And following up from what we, we learned from Tyler last week, Jesus had just sent out the 12 disciples to go and to preach, to drive out demons, and anoint the sick and heal them. Now they've returned, they're reconnecting with Jesus, and they're telling them all about what has happened. All about the, the, the demons that they may have cast out, the healings that might have took place, all the responses to the preaching. And I can only imagine that they got back filled with excitement. Probably a lot of Jesus, you won't believe what happened, right? Remember, they, they were preaching the gospel, and they were casting out demons and performing miracles, and that was not something that they had been doing before. Some of these guys were fishermen not long before this, and they'd been seeing Jesus do crazy stuff, but now they were taking part in it. This wasn't, this wasn't the type of trip they'd taken before. 
And I'd also be bold and assume that after the initial excitement of getting back, reconnecting with Jesus, um, their bodies probably started to remind them of how exhausted they were. And uh, there were also a lot of people, as we see in the passage, coming and going from the place that they were to the extent that they weren't able to eat. So Jesus is fully in his earthly ministry. People want to see him. His disciples are reconnecting with him. They're probably hungry. They're probably exhausted and tired. And it just doesn't sound like the ideal moment for the disciples to rest, recharge, and talk to Jesus about the mission he sent them on. Jesus is aware of this, and he tells them, as we saw in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. It's almost like Jesus says, let's go on a retreat. Let's go rest for a while. So, little side note here. This isn't what the sermon's about today, but it looks like vacations might be biblical. Okay, let's just, let's take that note, write that one down, get some rest, because when doing work for the Lord, sometimes we need to slow down in addition to our normal Sabbath days of rest, all right? I, I took note of that one. So, amen. Yes, we're getting an amen. The rest of you, you fine. Don't go on vacation. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to get some rest one of these days. So, back to the passage, though. Um, the retreat doesn't go exactly as planned. We read in Mark um, 32 and 33, So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. The disciples weren't the only people looking to be with Jesus here. There's a whole mass of people, many of whom have likely were the ones crowding the place of Jesus and his disciples. When they, and now they're running on foot to some deserted place simply because they knew Jesus was going to be there. Hey, Jesus is going to be there. Sweet, let's go. And, and it's not like it's a couple guys like, oh, shoot, they didn't have room for me on the boat. They probably want me over on the other side. Like, there's 5,000 of them. So I don't think they got that part wrong, right? They, they're just like, no, we want to be where Jesus is. And that's, that's pretty wild. I mean, I, I imagine 5,000 people moving by foot to go meet someone there, to someone somewhere else where they weren't necessarily invited. Now, I got a question. We're going to kind of go a different direction here, but, but raise the hands. Who's, who's ever heard of Bieber fever? A couple of you. I'm not saying this is the same, but I'm just curious. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying who has had Bieber fever. You, you can keep that secret to yourself. But it sounds like most of you, uh, uh, you know, haven't heard of Bieber, and that's okay. Uh, Bieber fever, for those of you that don't know, it is a, uh, it's a fascinating phenomenon. Um, <laughs> found mostly in, in tweens and teenage girls, and, and they're, uh, they're crazy about the pop singer Justin Bieber. These people, they're committed. They wait in line after his shows for hours just to see this short, oddly dressed, scraggly-haired Canadian kid, and they're just, they're in tears. Just, oh, they're so excited. And when they see it, they lose their minds. They're just, he's here, he's going, he's gonna walk from that door to the car. Oh my gosh, oh, there he went, I almost touched his hand. Um, they, they feel like they're, they're, seeing their idol is such a big deal. It's, it's almost like an act of worship. It's like it's giving meaning to their life. And, and we've all probably seen some movie where there's the girl crying, and oh, I, need, I need my pop singer guy. It's, it's the meaning of their life. And, and for those of you who are like, I don't know who Justin Bieber is. I'm, I'm cool. I'm not with the times. Um, then that's okay. Think of maybe like NSYNC from the 90s or, or New Kids on the Block. Or we could go way back, Elvis Presley, The Beatles. Right, okay, now everyone in the room is like, all right, I get it. 
I'm with you there. I don't know what beaver fever is, but I, I know about the Beatles. Um, of course you know about the Beatles, right? But just like those, those, those groups as well, people were obsessed with them. They bought the records, they went to the concerts, they hung the pictures and the posters in their rooms, and they let their lives and their, their fashion, their opinions on everything, it's shaped by these, these pop idols. And the obsession is, is clearly not just something specific to one generation. And the, the interesting thing about these people, and oftentimes they're younger people, but is that they are shamelessly willing to publicly worship this idol that, that for them feels like, or at least how it appears to be giving more meaning to their life. They need some, themselves, they need themselves that, that Justin Bieber in their life, and they don't care who knows it, okay? And the rest of us are kind of looking at them like, okay, all right, whatever. I don't know. I heard, I heard my mom was really into Elvis, but this is different. It's almost like there, but it, it, that's not exactly true for where we're at. It's almost like there is actually more desire in our life. Because there's something deep inside them that leaves them feeling empty and purposeless and, and constantly worshiping this musical idol. And that doesn't, that doesn't exist because that idol exists. See, the idea that life requires purpose is, is real for all of us. And I'd say that at some point in our life, we've felt pretty empty. And I think that's probably agreed upon by most people. We've had a desire for a greater purpose, for something more, for something bigger than us. And we might not all be expressing our feelings of, of emptiness and searching for purpose with a, a Bieber fever-like fervor. I, I realize that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a feeling of tug towards something bigger. And, and I'd say there's, there's kind of two categories we can put most people into. There's those of us who know there's an emptiness inside of us um, that drives a desire for something more, and, and we're quietly addressing it. And those who will, without shame, pursue that thing that they feel helps them feel a sense of purpose or, or fill maybe that, that little hole inside of them. And those people aren't just Bieber fans, though. There's a lot of other things that people use to address the feeling of what gives me meaning. I need meaning in my life. I need more. There's more than just this. There's people who, who turn to drugs. There's people who, who seek thrills or, or they travel. They're always looking for the next big exciting thing. There's people who work and work and work and work and give everything to their life and work. There's some of us who are, are just parents and, and, and our kids are everything. That is the ultimate meaning of our life. There's some of us, maybe it's social media. Maybe it's, maybe it's your video game community. Maybe it's just the fact that you want to be really good at things. But there is clearly something to be desired in this world that the things in this world just can't satisfy. We just can't seem to get enough in this world to satisfy that. It's, it's kind of like, like I mentioned, there's kind of a hole inside of us. Something that, that we're trying to, to fill, but it can only be filled with a greater meaning. And we look at these, the, those with Bieber fever, the, the workaholics, the, the addicts who just can't stay away, and, and they really aren't that different from us. Maybe, maybe we do different things, but, but at the core, the, 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 really the only difference is, is what they're doing about that need that they feel. You see, there's something that makes us incomplete, something that will never be satisfied by the desires of this world. Nothing in this world can fulfill this desire. And the crazy part is that hole inside of all those celebrity groupies, all the criminals, all the greedy business people, that hole inside of them is the exact same size as the hole inside of the rest of us. The space that's inside our souls that, that we're trying to fill 
It's exactly the same. We all have that same size, same shaped space. So we can't say, hey, I'm glad I'm not like them. They clearly got, they've got bigger problems and they, they need more than I do. I don't need that much. No, it's all of our needs are the same size. Whether we're, we're broken and greedy or we seem to have it all together. But here's the thing. Here's the cool thing. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, you're probably already kind of like, oh, I think I know where Brian's going. There's, there's a little something more here, right? We know that, that there is something more to that hole in our souls, to, to that desire for more. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm, I'm so glad you're here because I'm going to talk about that, okay? Because this hole, it, it can be filled. This space in us, this desire for something greater, we will someday, we can someday, and as believers, we will someday find the perfect completeness of the worship of something greater than us. And it can only be filled by one thing. That one thing is a relationship with God. And how does he fill that hole? Through bringing us into relationship with him through his son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are sitting here today, you're saying, hallelujah, you're shaking your head, yes, because you know that your soul isn't empty anymore. And praise God for that, right? Amen. Amen. That's because those who believe in Jesus have given their life to him, and he is filling that space. He is coming into relationship. And he does that through bringing us into relationship with him. That's why the greatest command in Scripture is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's what we were made for. For those of you that are here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've known about him. Maybe you're here simply because someone invited you. I want you to know that Jesus came to this earth and died to break the power of sin and evil in your life and is inviting you into this relationship with him. See, sin is what keeps that space from being filled. Sin is what keeps us separate from relationship with God. But there's something interesting that we can realize about this emptiness inside of us. The desire for more, the, the, the space that, that drives our souls to just knowing there's something more. That space that seems so unquenchable, that, yes, sin maintains its emptiness and its obstacle, but that hole was there before sin. And bear with me here. It was there before sin, before before. Sin entered in the Adam, through Adam and Eve through the eating of the apple or the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because as humans, we were created for something more than ourselves. We were made incomplete without God. We were made as, as our true selves, our complete selves is only in relationship with God. The whole doesn't exist because you were bad or you made mistakes and, and, and gosh, you've ripped it out now and it's, it's your fault and now Jesus has to come and, and fix like, oh man, gosh, broke, car broke down again, I guess I'll come fix it. No, guys, the space exists because that space is for God and he made us so that that space would be there. He didn't make us independent of him and he's, he's rolling the dice thinking like, whew, maybe I'll fit into this person's life. No, the reason that life without God feels empty and feels like it doesn't make sense is because we were made for relationship with him. We were made to fit with him. It, it's the, the space for our souls exists because we were created for that. It's kind of like as if we were made like a puzzle piece, one puzzle piece. And, and standing alone, you can tell something is clearly not right. This is clearly not how we were created to be. That's because we weren't created to be independent, to be all alone, to be just us. 
a relationship with God, living for him, worshiping him, that is what we were made for. And as long as we're here on earth and until Jesus returns and brings us home into glory, that space is going to be something that we're aware of. The oddly shaped puzzle piece that we are that desires to be complete and to worship something. But Jesus has already been giving believers the Holy Spirit. We're already getting the chance to be in a relationship with God and begin to experience how that fills up so much of who we are and how we were created. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who bears my name and is credited for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. Guys, we're, we, we were made by God and made for God. So if we're not living the purpose for God, we're, right, we're not in proper function as we were made to be. Isaiah 43 and 21, it says, The people I formed for myself will declare my worship. We were formed for God. That's why we're that puzzle piece when we're not without God, because we weren't meant to be a single puzzle piece. We were, we were meant to be filled in a different way. We were created for God, and without Him, we're incomplete. Therefore, from the moment we were created, we had that space, and we had that desire that could only be satisfied by Him. When sin entered the world, it came between us, separated us from God, and, it, and it's, it's, it's left at this time here on earth, us feeling like that puzzle piece that stands alone. But that sin has been conquered by Christ, so that when we are in heaven, there will be no pain and suffering, no tears. We will be made perfectly complete, just as we were designed in perfect relationship with our God in heaven. And that's where we find the foundation of our relationship with Christ. He is the only one that can, that can break sin away and fill in the emptiness inside of us, overcome the sin that has separated us from God, and he does it perfectly. He's the one that takes us as a puzzle piece and puts us right where we need to be. The foundation, and, and because of that, therefore, the foundation of our relationship with Christ is our need for him. Okay, that's, that's at the root of it all. We're, we're not in a relationship with Christ just because it's like fun and like, ah, oh, Jesus, you seem pretty cool. Let's hang out. No, the foundation of our relationship is our need for him. We were created for him. We need him. Amen. He gives us purpose. Amen. Yes. You see, it's, it's part of our nature, part of who we are. We are made as creatures of need. And that need is part of God's design. And he is the only fulfiller of that need. And as much as our hearts might tell us that we can find happiness and give our lives purpose with, with this and that thing in life, we can't. We can only depend on God. He is the only one who can fill that. So let's go back to our passage here, Matthew 6, and we'll read a little bit more of it here again. Um, therefore, I tell, I'm sorry, we're, we're not going back to the same passage. We're going uh, to a different passage. I just wrote it down here. Um, in Matthew 6, 25, 34, not Mark 6, in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, it says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any one of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. 
If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith, so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, for don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why does Jesus say all this? Because he knows that Life is filled with worry, filled with trying to figure out how to, how to, to figure out our own needs and, and to, to, for food, for life, for clothing, for warmth, to shelter, water to nourish us. And the thing is, is those are the basics. But Jesus is trying to show us here that even those simple things, the things that we could say scientifically, our body actually needs these things. Yes, scientifically, God created you to have needs that he will provide. He provides the food, he provides the warmth, and he has created a world where that takes place for us. But in, in our Western world, having these needs met is, is much easier than this passage was, when this passage was written, right? You think back in the day, I mean, if it didn't rain, if your crops didn't go, you, you could just go hungry. I mean, people were dying of hunger all the time. And that is not something, I mean, we hear about that. We say, hey, you know, let's go. We're, I want to donate to this charity. We're going to help for a well for this town here in a third world country. But the reality is here where we live in the Western world, we don't really experience this idea of like, man, I'm really worried that I'm not going to have food tomorrow. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't. We, we, uh, Sandra was up here the other week talking about kids that we, we send lunches home from the school with. But that doesn't, but for a lot of us, I know for me, it's a foreign idea. And that makes this idea of relying on someone else for my needs seem foreign and almost untrue. Because to me, I'm like, no, I just need to work hard. I need to get a job. I need to do all my right things that I can take care of all my needs. But that jaded attitude isn't right. Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's why we, we see people expressing this nature of need because we're created for that. Worshiping idols. We're seeking pleasures, comfort, so much more. Even, even the idol of just, I can take care of myself. Even as food and clothing needs are met, we know we were created for something more, though. Even when you've got all your food, even when you've got a great job, and you're like, I created that perfect, comfortable life I've been shooting for my whole life, and I'm there. I've plateaued. This is great. It's not going to take long before we know there's something more. Because God create us, created us as beings who need him. And today's passages, I think we can learn a lot about this nature and need that we have and, and, and Jesus' relationship with us. First, we see it collectively in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This group of people full of their need for the God of the universe are running on foot to keep up with Jesus. And whether, we don't know exactly, for some of them it might have been his teaching. For some, they might have seen his miracles. Maybe they were sick or knew someone was sick. The point was, is they were... They were chasing after him because he was, he was filling in that there's something more to this life. And I think we can learn from this story about what that means, our relationship with Christ. And how, we, we, how do we see Jesus feeling about this crowd when they get there? I mean, they're probably sweaty, panting. How does, how does Jesus feel? He says, it says that Jesus had compassion on them. Did Jesus have compassion on them? Because he's like, man, I'm kind of embarrassed for these guys chasing me around town. They look really silly. 
Or maybe he's like, oh man, shoot, they all forgot their lunches. Man, I, I have compassion for them. No. Scripture tells us that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What scripture is showing us here by calling this group of people sheep without a shepherd is pointing to their lost nature. That their lives didn't have a true spiritual leader, therefore their lives were aimless. And, and, and they were ultimately in need of someone to, to care for them, to protect them, to provide for their needs, and to give them an eternal purpose. They needed a shepherd. And Jesus shows compassion because he fully understands their need for God. And what does Jesus do for this collective group, these sheep? He gives them what they need. It says in Scripture, he began to teach them many things. Because Jesus is fully aware of our need for him. He looks at a collective group of people. He shows compassion on them, and he takes care of their needs. And in this case, their need is a relationship with God. And that comes through the knowledge of the Word of God. So that's what he does. He teaches them. He says, here is the Word of God. And it's important that we see that Jesus responds to them collectively. And this is key because Christ cares for our needs as a shepherd caring for his flock. This is because our relationship with Jesus takes place in community. Jesus is, he's in a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with us. But he is also collectively, in relationship with us collectively as the church. And Jesus uses this collective relationship to provide for our needs, which as a result shows our needs for Christ is designed to be satisfied by his church. Thus meaning our relationship with God leads to our need for his church because that's part of how he decides he's going to, to speak to us, to work in our lives. In Acts, after around 3,000 people were baptized, Pentecost takes place, the first church is building, things are going great. Everyone, I mean, we're always open in Acts and saying, like, what, what does the church look like? What does the, the, the church in, in early times look like? And, and, you know, do they all get baptized? Do they all get saved? And do they all just go off and be like, sweet, I'm a Christian now. God's going to take care of my needs. I'll see you all later. Hope he takes care of yours too. <laughs> no, like not at all. No, we read in Acts, it says, Now all the believers were together. This is right after they were all baptized. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. To me, that, that is definitely not a Christianity that says, hey, sweet, you're a Christian now, you're good, you don't have any needs, go do, you know, this says, this just shows immediately that the response of the church is taking care of each other's needs. They become Christians and they immediately are taking care of each other. Yeah. Because God has created us with needs and he has said, my church is part of how I'm going to take care of my people. God brings us together in one, in many ways. He cares for us collectively. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we aren't in this alone. And, but again, going back to kind of the Western culture we live in, this is so different. In our current times, we are doing more and more stuff alone. Our identity is all about individualism and controlling the expression of, of who I am and, and how people see me. That's where my purpose lies, right? No, no, that's not. But that's what it feels like. In Western culture, our identity is, is wrapped up in our expression of ourselves. I mean, more and more people are working from home. I work from home. If I want to, 
I could just never see a coworker. I could never have to have really any contact out of Zoom meetings 40 hours a week. <laughs> right? I'm in control of that. So yeah, maybe I just want to present myself how I want to be. I, want to, I just want to be in control. We build our, our, our Facebook profiles, and we've got to make it so unique. I've got, to, I've got to show everyone my meaning. I've got to be awesome. I'm, I'm not a part of a group. I'm an individual, right? Or, or the same thing on TikTok. How do I separate myself from, from the, the mess of, of lame TikTokers? I'm the cool TikToker, and I want everybody to know. People just don't know it that this dad with four kids is just dope, and everybody wants to watch his video. I'm not on TikTok, but if I was, that would be my thought process. Um, but right, like that's, that's what our, our culture teaches. I, even, even, even if we look, I mean, there are people, we look at the, the, the conversation right now of gender identity. We are wrapped up thinking that that is where my purpose, that's where I'll find meaning when I figure out the right gender. Yeah. We, we live in a culture, even, even in politics, right? Oh man, oh this, I gotta get my political views right. I gotta make sure I separate myself from all those sheeple over there. I don't wanna be like them. They're following somebody. No, I'm the smart one. I, I read the news that no one else reads and, and I know all the things. I got it right. We're all just trying to, to elevate ourselves as individuals. We don't want to be part of a collective. And that's created a culture, that comes from a culture of self-worship. Thinking we can satisfy our own needs. We can give our lives ultimate purpose. We can solve the problem of that, that emptiness in our heart that hurts. We're all here trying to be unique. Sorry, maybe we're not all here, but, but there's a lot of people in, in Western culture that are just trying to be unique, and they're trying to give their lives purpose through that. Romans 1, 18, 25, Paul writes, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteous, suppre unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through those he, who through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for they knew God, but they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Our images have, you know, they maybe have moved on from birds or four-footed animals, but they've just moved to ourselves. And how, how we're defined by our political parties or, 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 or my, my gender identity, or, or this celebrity, or my online profile, or my success, what, my LinkedIn profile, oh, sweet, yep, yeah, there we go. That's, that's, that's really all. Our idols have just switched from, from golden calves to ways that we get to present ourselves to the world. No wonder so many people feel hopeless and empty. Our culture has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Scripture tells us as believers we are so different than that. It calls us into community, not individualism. 
And when we are in that community, we are about Jesus and each other. In the letter to the church to Philippi, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Jesus cares for our needs through his church. We got to allow ourselves to be taken care of by the shepherd. Therefore, we must be okay with becoming his sheep and a part of his flock. You see, who we are as sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, regardless of our online profiles or feelings about ourselves or whatever others say, we are defined by our relationship with the Creator. And we need that Creator. He Himself, He makes Himself known to us and cares for our needs individually and collectively. So let's keep going in the Bible story. I got, I got more here. I didn't just read the, the walking on water because it was fun. I, I think we're going we're gonna to bring this full circle here. And Jesus instructs his disciples after the meal. They're going to get in the boat. And they're going to cross to the other side. Um, and Jesus sticks around and he dismisses the people. Here's what happens next. It's told in, in Matthew. We're going to switch over to Matthew here. It tells a little bit more detail about Jesus walking on the water. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So, I mean, let's set the stage here. It's, it's really early in the morning. It's like 3 a.m. They've been, they, they're using oars to row against the water. I mean, they're tired. They're, they're probably fighting for their lives. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're waiting for your buddy to be like, land ho! And you're like, oh, finally, we're done. And instead he yells, it's a ghost! Like, you're like, oh, dang. Like, this isn't, this is not what I was hoping for. And you're, you're out there. I mean, Jesus responds to him. He says, it is I. And what does Peter do? I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. But Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says to him, come. And Peter does just that. So Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. And he sees the wind. And once he realizes he's not in the safety of the boat anymore, he sinks. And he cries, Lord, save me. And Jesus catches him. And he pulls him up. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this interaction with Jesus and Peter, I think, can continue teaching us about how our relationship with Christ is rooted in our need for him. And think back to last week when we read that, um, you know, after Jesus sent out the disciples, it says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointing many sick people with oil and healed them. As Jesus wasn't there for that. He was somewhere else doing his own thing. And the disciples were out there doing this on their own. Yet here we have Peter, a guy who was just days before casting out demons, healing people, preaching, and now he's like, oh, dang, but I'm scared of the water. Jesus says he is of little faith. Guys, this is the same Peter who in Acts chapter 9, we see him healing a paralyzed man who's been paralyzed for eight years. And just a few verses later, he raises someone from the dead. 
How can someone do such amazing acts of faith, yet also be called one of little faith? Peter shed some light on that in, in his second letter. He says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And continues on. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is telling us something about our relationship with Christ as he's talking to these believers and, and how we can kind of understand why it looks, you know, why Peter's performing miracles one moment and the next moment he's, he's not having enough faith to walk on water. Because it's only by, one, it is only by God's power that we receive everything needed for life and for living in a godly Christian manner. And that even our salvation is dependent on him. We need God for everything. Okay? And the second thing that we see in these passages is when we look at other believers, seeing even the most, if I may call them, the most, some of the most awesome Christians of all time. Right? Think about the prophets of the Bible. You got Daniel, Isaiah, Moses, John the Baptist, Peter. Right? All of them. All of the works they did for the kingdom of God only took place because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They needed God in all those moments. You think about Moses' conversation with, with the Lord at the burning bush. Was he like, yeah, of course, I'm totally ready. No, that, that's never the case. That's never the case for any of them because they all needed God. So what, that, that, what does that tell us about Peter walking on water? It tells us a lot because, you see, Peter walking on water is just another beautiful picture of how Christ's followers, whether they're new Christians and, and they're, still, they're still on milk or they're, 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 you, you know, they're, they've been Christians their whole lives, they've cast out demons, they've done healing, they still need God. Right? And so he steps out in faith with Jesus just inches away from him. Jesus is standing right there. And he still needs him. He still needs that faith. And in our lives, it, it, it's so easy to, to feel like our relationship with God is different. Understandably, because think about all the relationships in our life. We've got friends, family, coworkers, coaches, students, acquaintances. That we have no relationship like, like our relationship with God in our life. And, and, and so that's the thing, right? You think about one of our most influential relationships in life with our parents, right? Through them, God gives us life. We're fed by them. We're taught about life. They, they make sure we do good in school. They, hey, someday you're going to have a job. Work like this. Sometimes things are going to get tough. Do like this. And what do we do when we're like 18? We're like, sweet, thanks. I'm out of here. Maybe some of you are like, I moved out when I was 25. And, and that's fine, too. Um, but, but the point is, our parents raise us to someday go and be independent. Parents, you are raising your kids. What parents want their kids to live with them forever? Okay, I know some of the kids are like, I'm, I, my, our oldest is always like, I'm never moving out. I'm staying here forever. My room is sweet. And I'm like, your room is sweet. It's going to be empty someday. But the thing is, is we, we are raised to go off and to be independent, to do it on our own in life. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's how God has designed this relationship. And as we grow in life, we're just, we just keep doing it more on our own, right? You, you go get a job, and you got a boss, and your boss has got a boss, and your boss has got a boss, and that boss probably has a boardroom of bosses. 
right? And we're like, no, I'm going to move up the chain. I'm going to have less bosses. I'm going to have people under me. I'm going to go become more independent. People are going to depend on me. And I'm going to be able to do this job really well so that I can help them do that. Again, that's, that's just, that's not a bad thing. That's what our life looks like. These are the relationships that we are constantly interacting with. Growing up is all about becoming independent. And, and, and we're not abandoning those who helped us, right? We're not saying, like, well, parents, I don't like you anymore. We're still, we're, we still love them. We still care about them. As Darth Vader put it, when meeting Obi-Wan, as they met again at last, he said to him, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Right? That's kind of the world we live in. But that is not at all how our relationship with Jesus works. It's not the same relationship. We will someday grow and become independent as we get better and smarter. Oh, I've read the Bible so much. So like, thanks, God. I got it all memorized now. Sweet. Call me if you need me. I'll call you if I need you. I might forget something. It's not like that at all. And don't get me wrong. Jesus, he trains us in righteousness. He shapes us. We, we, we are sanctified every day. And he, he makes us look and be more like him. But at no point in that growth as Christians does our need for him lessen. In fact, it, 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 our need for him grows because Jesus will never be like our earthly parent or mentor. He's not raising us up so that someday we can go off without him. He's raising us up so that we will understand more our need for him. Jesus isn't watching from the sidelines. Think about, think about sports. Think about sports in 2020. And this, this, you know, this part, we might come up to a shock you. And some of you are Seahawks fans, and, and, and uh, I'm a Seahawks fan myself, and, and I mean no disrespect with what I'm going to say here to my, my fellow 12s, but we got to face the truth. We learned something in 2020. And if you're not a fan of sports, you'll pick this up pretty quick, okay? Sports teams don't need fans. They didn't, they didn't need us. They need money, I get it. They, you know, and the fans pay the money that pay their salaries. But think about sports in 2020. The stadiums were empty, right? Silence after every big highlight play. Oh, I scored a touchdown, I made a basket, and no one was cheering. No one to high-five as they went into the locker room. And you want to know what happened when those stadiums were empty, when all the fans, we were, we were essentially invisible from the sports world? The sports world continued on. They just kept going. They kept, the, the players kept making big plays. The, they kept getting paid. They, they won championships. And no one was there. And, and the point I'm getting at here is, is, is not to make you feel horrible and be like, well, thanks, Brian. You've just ruined my entire life of, of sports fandom. The point I'm getting at here is we need to make sure that we never are looking at Jesus as our fan. Right? It, sometimes I think we like to be like, yeah, like Jesus has got my back. He's cheering for me. But we, we can never make him our fan, because fans aren't essential. Yes, the Lord does say, good work, my good and faithful servant. But, but if we look at our lives as a Christian, our re relationship with Jesus, when he is encouraging us and cheering for us and on our side, it is not from the sidelines. It is not from a position where if he was gone or it was replaced with someone else, it'd be like, hey, at least someone's cheering for me. No. As we grow closer to Jesus, we learn more about the Bible, and we grow in holiness we will not lead God less. Rather, we will need him more. So essentially, as we spend more time in prayer and in scripture and growing with God, we, the, our perspective of him over there will continue to get closer and closer and closer until eventually we begin to realize more and more how much we rely on him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. 
When I read that passage, that, that vine is not a fan in the stands. That vine is the giver of life. It is the coach. It is the parent. It is everything. Everything that has given what we need, we get from the vine. And the beauty of all this is that as we discover and press into more and more our need for Jesus, we will get to discover more of the riches of his mercy. We're going to read a little bit more about what Peter wrote. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our need for him, he's also giving us something. He is doing a work in us. He is, he is bringing out godliness. He is bringing out knowledge and self-control. We, we want to figure out how to, how to not only have the ultimate purpose in our life, but, but how do we deal with the, the sins and the temptation of this world? Press into your need for Jesus. If you're struggling, whether you're struggling with, with envy or greed or pornography or drugs or some other addiction, or maybe you're just struggling with the fact that you just don't, you're just lazy maybe. Maybe you just don't want to do the tough things in life. Whatever it is, recognizing our need for God, he says, when you see your need for me, I want to work in you and I will change you and I love you and I'm going to bless you. He wants to bless you, but that relationship is founded on our need for him. We can't say, oh, I read the Bible, I know God, he's my buddy, we high five, and now I'm going to go be a superhuman. No, we know that the only way we can truly be healed, the only way we can truly overcome those sins is because of him. We need him. John 10.10 10 says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. Yes, he, he, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need a fan. We, we need a God. Amen. We need a God. And that abundant life, the Lord delights in it. He delights in it. Our relationship with him is one that is filled with joy for you and for him. Jesus is better than any friend, fan, coach, anything. So as we look at Peter, we don't see him walking to the water. He doesn't walk the water and, and not sink and swagger and be like, yo, guys, check out all that faith I got. The ripple trails. no. We see a man that trusts in his Lord, and even when he is weak in his faith, Jesus reaches out and gives him his needs and brings him up. And that same guy who he said, you of little faith, come on, what's going on? He also says, I will build the, on, you will be the rock on which I build my church. He said that to the guy who sank in the water because he didn't have enough faith to walk on it. Because we need Jesus. And in those moments when you feel those needs, that's not Jesus going, oh gosh, I guess I'm not going to be cut out for that thing I called him for later. Shoot. None of us are cut out for it. We all need him. So what, what about those of us here that, that don't know Jesus though? Some of you might be like, Brian, I don't, I don't know Jesus. What does Jesus say to me then? I want that life abundant. I want to know him. What does the Bible say? Man, Jesus spent a lot of time with people who were fervently pursuing to fill that empty space in their lives. If we, if, we, if we look throughout the Bible, Jesus spent time with tax collectors who were trying to fill the, the pit of their souls with money. 
They were filled with greed. He spent time with prostitutes who were used by men and searched for hope through sexual needs of others and themselves. For thieves who felt that they were just one thing away from feeling complete. And so many other types of people doing things that are wrong. So many other criminals. And Jesus spent time with those 